Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. I want to just take a few minutes. I won't be long today, I promise, because we want to get to the main event in baptism. But I thought we should take a few minutes and just sort of frame the picture of what this whole salvation in Jesus thing is all about. Uh, Baptism really does that well for us. It really is an incredible picture. You'd think that God asked us to do this. It's a brilliant picture of what it looks like and means to be saved and set free and raised to new life. And I want to just take a minute to bring some clarity because I know sometimes it's helpful in life just to have somebody come along and just boil things down to brass tacks Have you ever had somebody come along and they helped explain something that previously you found to be a little bit convoluted or complicated? I remember for me, like when I was a 16-year-old, I got a job at Irving. I was an Irving gas attendant. Remember back in the good old days where they had that booth and you could pull up and get some teenage kid to go out in minus 30? I was that kid. And that was my first job ever. But I remember going to like job training and being overwhelmed with the manual and all the stuff I had to remember about running cash and doing all the stuff and stock and supply and all of it. And a a little bit overwhelmed. And it wasn't until my first shift where I got to shadow my best friend who kind of got me that job. And he basically said, look, man, it's not rocket science. A car pulls in, go out, ask them how much gas they want. Do what they tell you. Pump it in, take their gas, let them go. That's the job. I'm like, I can do this, right? It was just this clarifying moment. It happened when I worked at Empire Theaters when I was 17. I had all the jobs. I was that kid on Simpsons that has every job. Remember that? No, didn't see that. And I remember it's just, again, like the guy's like, hey, pour the, pour the popcorn in the thing, turn the thing on, put some oil in it, wait till it pops, put it in the bag and give it to the people. All right, I can do this. I won't explain to you my life lessons in pest control. We'll save that for another day. A little more gruesome. But uh, sometimes we just need it clear, though, don't we? We just need it boiled down into clarity. And I say this because, you know, the, the message of the gospel in Christ Jesus is beautifully, mysteriously simple. However, it, it can become very easy if you come into church and you come into faith. You can get fragments of the messaging And it can get confusing. It truly can. And sometimes we just need a moment where we zoom out and say, hey, this is really what you're going to need to do. This is really what it means. Here's the big picture. And today I want to do that. Just take a few minutes before we celebrate baptism to talk to you about what this whole Jesus salvation gospel thing is all about. And my hope is... For some of you who might be in that land of confusion or maybe you're seeking or you're wondering, my hope is today that it clicks for you, that I'll be like my friend when I was 16 coming along just saying, hey, here's what it really means. This is what you need to know. And my hope for the rest of us is as we re-explore the story and the work of Jesus Christ that it, it clicks all over again for us. How many of you know we can make our Christianity complicated in a way that Jesus never meant it to be? And at the end of the day, in the beginning of the day, it's all about Christ and him crucified and resurrected and the life we find in that. Can I get an amen? And so we're gonna rehearse and talk about the big picture for just a few minutes. And we're doing that in the Gospel of Matthew. If you're just joining us, we have been in a Bible series. We're a church that really believes that this is God's word and we try to preach from God's word every single week. And most weeks, we're working through one 
section or one book of the Bible at a time. And we have for some time now been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew, or the gospel means good news, and Matthew is the guy who wrote the good news. And so he's trying to get you to see the good news about this one Jesus. And his purpose in the gospel of Matthew is ultimately to show you that Jesus is the Savior of the world and to show all people, especially people who are irreligious and recognize their need, to show us that if you put your faith in Jesus, you will experience salvation and transformation that death can't even touch. And that's the purpose of the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we are given a very good snapshot of what it looks like when someone comes to Jesus and experiences what Jesus has to offer. And so if you're wondering what this whole Gospel, Jesus, Christianity thing is all about, today's text is a very good picture of what Jesus wants to do for you and who you are and what you need in this grand scheme of things. So let's check it out. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read it, and I'll pull out a few things for us that hopefully, like I said, for some of you who are wondering, it'll bring clarity. And for the rest of us, it will draw us to worship Jesus more. Can I get an amen? Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says that Jesus stepped into a boat. Now, if you remember, he'd crossed over a sea. If you were here last week, he crossed over a, a lake in the region, and he'd gone across, and he dealt some ministry over there. He, he delivered somebody from demons, and now he's heading back across the same water that he came over prior. So it says Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, the paralyzed man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. If you are a highlighter or an underliner, underline sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Here's a pro tip. Don't call Jesus fellow. <laughs> this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, I love that, Jesus reading their minds, said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart, which in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and praised God who had given such authority to a man. Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us what you want to say? Would you, would, you, would you shape this picture in for us? Would you convince us of the greatness and goodness of Jesus all over again? Amen. I want to draw just a few quick things out of this text about what you need to know about the whole Jesus thing, the whole following Jesus, the gospel, Christianity, and what Jesus came to do and what he offers you. A few quick thoughts. Here's the first one, and here's what you need to know. First and foremost, about the conversation surrounding salvation and your salvation and your encounter with Jesus. Just so you know in the story, you're the paralyzed person, and Jesus is Jesus, okay? And here's what you need to know. First and foremost, you need help. You need help from others. Let me just say this over all of us to burst the delusion and the bubble of our own pride and self-sufficiency. No one comes to Christ on their own. Nobody comes to Christ on their own. Salvation and new life is way bigger than you or me. Now, you and I have a decision to make at the end of the day 
but we are completely and utterly incapable of arriving at that moment of decision on our own. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? We are incapable of getting to Jesus ourselves. There is work by other agents that have to happen in order to get us to that place where we have that moment of decision that leads to salvation. And this picture that Matthew paints helps us see it. This man is paralyzed. Now, what does it mean to be paralyzed? It means you're incapable of movement, correct? This man is incapable of movement, and paralysis is a great picture for you and I to understand our spiritual situation. Incapable of movement, stuck. The Bible would even use other language in other places, like you were dead in your sins. Stuck, born in darkness, born without hope, helpless, lost, broken, incapable of movement, And this life that Jesus offers you, salvation, forgiveness, new life, it doesn't start with you. This whole thing is way bigger than you and I. We aren't even capable of getting to the point of decision on our own. It happens because of the help of others. Look back in verse 1, or verse 2. It says, some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. So all we know is that some friends who cared about this paralyzed man picked him up and carried him and laid him down in proximity to Jesus. If you read some of the other Gospels, you actually find out they go to great lengths to do it. There was a huge crowd that day, and uh, I think it's Luke and Mark both record that these men actually went up on the roof, tore away the roof, and lowered their friend down right in front of Jesus. We aren't told much beyond that, but here's what we do know. Jesus says, he looks at the friends and he says, your faith has healed him. You got him to me. Now, here's a couple things I want you to note. Here's what I'm getting at about the help that we need in order to get to Jesus. No one comes to Jesus on their own. There is a term, a theological term, we're going to nerd out for a second, called prevenient grace. Has anybody ever heard that before? And what prevenient grace is, is this concept that the grace of God isn't just the power that saves you at the moment you put your faith in Jesus. It's the power that guts you to the point where you decided to put your faith in the power and grace of Jesus. In other words, there is grace right now on like, if you're here and you're not a believer, I got news for you. The Spirit of God right now is working overtime on your heart and your mind, pulling you toward himself. That's called provenient grace. This work of salvation that Jesus offers us didn't start when you had a realization that I got to get up and get myself to Jesus. No, God has been working around you with the details of your life, pushing you closer and closer to that moment of encounter where you realize Jesus is who I'm looking for. Jesus is the one that can save me. Jesus is the one that can save me. This is what provenient grace is. God uses other forces around us to get us to that moment of decision. What does he use? Well, he uses his voice. He uses his word. He uses impressions. He uses nature. Mostly, he uses other people. How many of you know that to be true? How many of you could just close your eyes for a moment? Those of you who have been believers or are believers, most of us, you close your eyes and you start to call to, you know, memory the names and the people who God used to get you to that moment of encounter. There are many, I suspect. 
How many of you, maybe there's a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or a family member or a friend or a cousin or a coworker or a colleague, somebody along the way who cared enough about you to be used by God to get you to that moment. They took hold of the side of your mat and were one of the hands that helped get you to that moment of decision. Nobody gets to Jesus on their own and it's so important that you hear that. Recognize, church, the constants that have been there in your life the whole way along, the goodness and grace of God and the presence of other people that God has used to get you into encounters with him. It's an incredible thought. Every believer should feel a lot of gratitude for the people that God used, amen? Can you just sense that even as I'm talking about it? I mean, I think of my own life and I think about the people that spoke over me and loved me when I was being a, a, a dumb kid and my church that brought me back and brought me in all the way along, men and women who invested in me, my parents who, who fought the good fight to raise me up in the way that I should go. I would not be here today on my own and all that, all that to say, and neither would you. God has been working on us even before we believe. We should feel grateful, and let me just remind us. Let me just speak this over us really quick, King's Church. Let me remind you, our mission on this earth is to get people to Jesus. Oh, my goodness, you're quiet. Our mission on this planet, we, why hasn't Jesus just come back? If Jesus conquered the grave and he's going to restore all things, why doesn't he just come back right now and fix everything? And the war in Ukraine's done and death's done and all the suffering and fluctuating economies, all of it goes away when he comes and fully establishes his kingdom. Why hasn't he? Here's why. He's giving people time to be saved. Because when he comes back, the line is drawn and it's over. And so why is the church here? We are his agent to drag people to Jesus. We're those friends grabbing the mat and pulling the paralyzed people because we were once those paralyzed people. We're pulling them and placing them in front of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Let me remind you, at work, you're not just there at work. You have a hand on the mat. In your family, mom, you're, you're not just mom. You have a hand on the mat. You're bringing those kids to Jesus. That's our job. Nobody gets to Jesus alone. Number two, let's get into the nuts and bolts of salvation. What else do you need to know? Well, you need to know that you're gonna need mercy. You're gonna need mercy. At the end of the day and the beginning of the day, this is all about having received mercy and forgiveness. Salvation is primarily and first and most fundamentally about us being made right with God. Let that just land. It is 100% true that Jesus wants to come in and he wants to transform your life. We'll get to that in a minute. He wants, to, he wants to change your mind. He wants to give you the mind of Christ. He wants your life to bear fruit now and forever. That is all unequivocally true. But fundamentally, the work of salvation is about dealing with the eternal separation and the eternal debt that you and I have with God. It's about being made right with God. Look, let's look back at the text. Bring up uh, verse 1, 2, and 3 if you could, Crystal. It says that some men brought a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And look what Jesus says. He doesn't say, rise, take your mat, and walk, does he? He deals with the bigger issue. What does he say? Son, your... Let's say it together. Son, your... 
Yeah, your sins are forgiven. This is the big job according to Jesus. This is the big deal that we need to deal with. Now for us, when we look at this like, Jesus, you're missing the elephant in the room. The man's paralyzed. What a horrible way of life. And Jesus says, no, I'm not missing the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is this man needs mercy and forgiveness. He needs to be made right with God. Paralysis is secondary. Let's deal with the eternal reality here. Jesus does not initially address this guy's paralysis. He doesn't ask, hey, how's your relationships? He doesn't say, how's your financial picture? He doesn't talk about his employment status. He goes right to the heart of this man's most foundational and fundamental need, and that is forgiveness and mercy from an almighty God, to be made right with God. It's just reminded of that this week. You know, as we start to live the life following Jesus, and it does become about more than just forgiveness, absolutely, but sometimes we can forget that it's the grace of God in his mercy given to us where we were made right with him, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. Amen? Amen. Does anybody remember that old song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a, a Wretch Like Me? That's our story. We need mercy. What is mercy? What's mercy? If I give you mercy, what, what is that? What is mercy? Mercy is when I hold back something that you deserve, correct? Mercy is holding back, in, in effect. And Jesus offers us mercy. He holds back what we actually deserve. He gives us, he holds back what we actually deserve. He deals with our fundamental problem of debt with God. Look what he says in verse 5. Look what he says. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, so get up and walk. But what does Jesus say? And he answers his own question, doesn't he? Which is easier? According to Jesus, it's far easier for him to say get up, take your mat, and walk. The real, most incredible miracle that you will witness in your whole life, according to Jesus, is that you've been forgiven. It's not resurrection. It's not uh, paralysis being healed. It's not being freed from addiction. All those things are incredible. We could speak in tongues. We could prophesy. We could, we could see limbs grown back. All those things have happened. Those things do happen. But you know what the great miracle is? The great miracle is that we have been forgiven by a holy God. The biggest problem in this man's life at that point was the problem of God. My, one of my favorite uh, authors and Christian thinkers, A.W. Tozer, once said that all the problems of heaven and earth, though they would confront us all at once, would be nothing compared to the overwhelming eternal problem of God. That at best, all the problems you face in this life are temporary, but you know what God wants to deal with? Your eternal trouble. That you have an existence that goes beyond this flesh and blood and the breath and the heartbeat. That there is a holy God. And Tozer goes on to say, and when our conscience convicts us about the fact that since day one we have been nothing but an affront to God's holiness, we've fallen short of the glory of God, it can become a weight that is too overwhelming to bear. That is the gift of conviction. Anybody remember 
just the, when you, like that moment of salvation, when you really believed in Jesus and you had that encounter, you know what, you know what preceded it? Conviction. Oh, it's like Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, when he sees God, what's his reaction? He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his reaction was, wasn't cool, wasn't wow, lucky me. It was, woe is me, I am ruined, I am a man of unclean lips. When you start to see the real Jesus, it reveals the depravity and the state of our souls that we need a savior and we need forgiveness and that we have offended a holy and infinite God. Now, some of you struggle with that idea that you are a sinner. That isn't a popular thing to say these days, is it? In the days of pretty, pretty, please, don't you ever, ever feel that you're nothing less than perfect? Not according to the scripture. You aren't perfect, not even close. In fact, all of us have fallen incredibly short of the glory of God, and yet Jesus comes in and he says, I'm offering you eternal forgiveness. You know, you know why your sin matters so much? Oftentimes, we'll start to measure our sin peer to peer, won't we? Like, wow, I'm not that bad. I mean, there's like Hitler, and, or sorry, Hitler, and there's Teresa, Mother Teresa, and I'm somewhere here, I'm, I'm batting 500. But the problem with sin is not, not, it's not horizontal, it's vertical, it's eternal. It's that you and I have sinned against an infinite, perfect God. That means we have an infinite, perfect debt of sin that has separated us from him. And Jesus comes in and he offers forgiveness, mercy. Can I just say this over you, King's Church, today? Jesus has offered us mercy, forgiveness to be made eternally right with God. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. Whew. I wish I could describe the feeling of being forgiven. Uh, but if you know, you know. Amen. Amen. Jesus offers him forgiveness, son, your sins are forgiven, but it doesn't simply stop there. He offers us mercy, and then he goes beyond it. So if mercy is holding back what we do deserve, you and I deserve to pay the debt of our sin, correct? You earned it, you pay it. You, you, you pulled the debt, you gotta deal with it. But Jesus, in his mercy, says, I'll handle that. That's mercy, he offers us grace as well. If mercy is holding back what we do deserve, grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Jesus' salvation goes beyond just forgiving us of our sins, but it offers us the benefit, the blessing that he, God wants to offer us through him. Grace is God's gift to us of what we don't deserve. Look what happens. For number three, if you're taking notes, here's what you need to know. This is about mercy and forgiveness. It's also about receiving the grace and power, the new life of God from him. The gospel is more than just being forgiven. Following Jesus is more than just being forgiven. He wants to bring us to life. If, if mercy holds back what we, don't deserve, or what we do deserve, grace gives us what we don't deserve. And grace makes us new. Oh, that's some good news. The valley doesn't believe it, but grace makes us new. 
It raises us to life. Grace gives us what we don't deserve. Instead of our sin, grace gives us righteousness. Instead of our shame and our rags, grace gives us glory. Instead of death, grace brings us to life. Instead of being lost, grace makes us found. Instead of being blind, grace gives us sight. Instead of being paralyzed, grace raises us up and dusts us off and sets our feet on the ground and sends us in a direction. That's what grace does. Go back to verse five. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up. What happened? Say it, he got up. He got up, he got up. The man got up. Grace raises us up. It brings us to life. Now, there's something connected here. You really shouldn't pull apart God's mercy and grace. They're kind of two in the same. There's just this, there's, we could do a whole series. In fact, I've thought about doing it just on like the, the things that seem different but are actually the same, like, like grace and truth. And anyway, you don't want to pull apart God's mercy and grace because they, they touch. There is a connection between the grace of God and the mercy of God. Specifically, look what Jesus says. He says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, get up. And walk. Now, in first century Jewish context, they believed that the reason the man was paralyzed is because he's a sinner. So none of them were put off by the fact that Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Of course, he's a sinner, he's paralyzed. They kind of had a karma sort of view of how sin and dysfunction worked that if a person has a lot of problems in their life, they, they have a lot of sin and, and, and so on. Jesus would later destroy that theology, by the way. But he kind of goes with it here because they believe that, that dysfunction was the evidence of sin and healing, subsequently, stay with me, was the evidence of forgiveness. And so that if Jesus said that he's forgiven, the proof will be in the healing. That he had to be healed to prove the fact that Jesus' forgiveness was actual. The healing, get this, was the evidence of forgiveness. You catch it? The fact that he got up and walked bore witness to the fact that when Jesus said he was forgiven, he was indeed forgiven. The healing is evidence of real forgiveness. So let me say it like this. In your Christian life, the evidence that you have truly been forgiven is that you start to see the healing transformation of God take root in your life. You start to find yourself like the paralyzed man who previously couldn't walk and now he's up and walking. Things that you were incapable of doing before because of the mercy and goodness and grace of God got inside of you. It started to bring you to life. And that's what happens when you start to follow Jesus and you truly grasp and get a hold of the mercy and love of God in your heart. It's not just some static, eternal thing, but there is actual, active power in the grace of God. It changes you. It actually starts to transform your life and you find yourself you were one way before, and now you're another way. It's a picture we see when we do the baptisms. You go down, and you're buried in the likeness of his death, and you're raised in new life in the likeness of his resurrection. You're changed. This is about transformation. This whole following Jesus thing isn't just paying your eternal debt, but it transforms you. It deals with the problem of sin, not just the debt of sin. It's incredible. 
It it takes the addict who was once paralyzed in addiction and now frees them in self-control and fulfillment. It takes the chronic warrior who was paralyzed in fear. And when that grace and the love of God that gets in the heart, that casts out all fear, raises them up in perfect peace that surpasses all understanding no matter what you're going through. Jesus offers us transformation. See, salvation isn't just about forgiveness. It's about eternal life now and forever. And the healing is evidence that the forgiveness took root. God gives us grace to do what we are incapable of doing. And baptism is such an incredible picture of this. You were saved by the grace of God. You're covered in the mercy of God, the forgiveness washed in the blood of Jesus and raised in power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us and raises us to new life. Last thought, I'm gonna invite the band back and we're gonna celebrate baptisms here. All the bands can come back at all the locations. Be quiet. None of you are stealthy though, I find. You just need to like come out quiet. I'm just, just joking. Now everyone's watching them. Like, I wonder how quiet they're gonna be. So this whole following Jesus thing, here's the picture. It it started before you even knew it was a thing. And the Holy Spirit and people around you have been working to try to get you to a moment where you would have an encounter with Jesus. And when you come to that moment, what Jesus wants to offer you is mercy and forgiveness and grace, transformation, and eternal life. No big deal. This is why we get excited like, like, when is it appropriate to stop celebrating the, the payment of an eternal debt? Never. I'll never stop. When is it appropriate to stop celebrating the, the rush of life that comes from, from knowing Jesus, the grace of God? Never. We never stop. But let's just wrap up with this thought, and then we're going to jump in and celebrate baptisms at all of our locations. Let me ask you a question about this story of the paralyzed man. What did our boy do in this whole process? So I don't know how the day went. I'm assuming morning he was doing his thing laying on a mat like he did every morning. And then his buddies come through the house and like, hey, we're taking you somewhere. Jesus, this healer, is over at Tim's house. We're going to Tim's house and we're going to put you in front of this Jesus because we believe he can save you. And so the, the guys grab on and they take him through and they get through the crowd and they lower him through the roof and there he has this encounter with Jesus and before he knows it, he's walking out of the house a forgiven, saved, and transformed man. What did this guy do in that process? Really nothing. Well, yeah, he believed, but the point is Jesus did all of the lifting. You notice that? Like the guy didn't recite certain prayers. The guy didn't go through catechism. He didn't earn it. He didn't pay penance. He didn't whip himself for some of those crazy medieval things. Like none of it. He didn't get out the incense. He didn't sing, raise a hallelujah. He did none of it. He just got in front of Jesus and then Jesus did what only Jesus can do. That's the gospel. It's, it's really solely, only, all about Jesus and nothing and no one else. He is the one who saves. He is the one who forgives. He is the one who heals. 
He is the one who restores. He is the one who raises us to life. He is the one who brings us into transformation, which proves the fact that we've been saved. It's all about him. And I think Matthew's trying to get us to see that. I mean, he's, he's pointing to what Jesus would later do. He wants to not simply show what Jesus wanted to do for this man, but what Jesus was about to do for all mankind. I love that line, so that you will know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Get up. Got thinking about that. How do you know that when Jesus went to the cross and he said, I'm going to the cross to give my life as ransom for many, for all who believe, they will be made right with God through me. How do you know what he said is true? How do you know? He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you life. I'll give you rest. How many of you, how many of you know? Like, how can you believe when he said that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life, how, how, will not perish but have eternal life? How do you know that it's real, that it's true? How do you know when Jesus hung on the cross and it says with his last breath, it said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and then he cries out, it is finished. How do you know it's finished? Well, he gave up his last breath. His friends took him down off that cross. They laid him out and they laid him in a tomb. But so that you will know, the Son of Man has authority to forgive your sin, and my sin. He got up. He walked away. He performed his own miracle to prove that the forgiveness is complete. That it really is finished. That there's nothing else to add. Nothing else to be done. But to freely come, freely receive, and to be brought into right relationship with God and life everlasting. That's some good news. Let's pray. Father, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Just thank you for grace, Jesus. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for the gift of conviction right now. Lord, I just sent your spirit with us, just reminding us the amazing grace of God that saved a wretch like me. Lord, thank you just for the reminder. Lord, I pray for the one who was on the fence or the one that they've been being carried to your feet. Lord, I pray that today they would receive the salvation that you want to give them. Lord, even as we celebrate baptisms, maybe today's their day, they decide to come and give their lives to you. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. Lord, just wash us new. Lord, remind us as we celebrate baptism that we're still soaked in your grace. Even though maybe some of us were baptized 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we're still soaked. The grace, the mercy is new every morning. We're still walking in it. Take us back to first love and the simple truth of the gospel. Renew us, realign us, refresh us today in your goodness, we pray. In Jesus' name and all the redeemed said, amen, amen and amen.